This audio recording is produced by Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous, also known as FA. FA is a program based on the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. It is free and open to anyone who wants to stop eating addictively. The following is one FA member's story of recovery. The opinions expressed here are those of the individual member and do not represent FA as a whole. If you are new or uncertain about FA, we encourage you to listen to several stories to gain an understanding of what the program offers. For information on the FA program, please visit our website, foodaddicts.org. Hello. Welcome to this qualification meeting. I am a food addict from Maine, and I am your leader for this hour. After a moment of silence, will you please join me in the serenity prayer? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I'm so grateful to be here. I'm grateful to know that I'm a food addict and that there's a solution for me. I didn't know that when I came into these rooms which was in May of 2001. I didn't know what a food addict was. I'd never heard of it. All I knew at that time was that um, I used to call myself an alcoholic with food because I knew that once I took that first bite, I couldn't stop. Um, I like to say that I was a fat kid, I was a fat teenager, and I was a fat adult. And um, I thought that that was going to be my future, that I was just going to be fat for the rest of my life. I was 37 years old when I came into F.A. And in that time, I've been maintaining 133-pound weight loss. And that, to me, is amazing. When I first came into these rooms, I had no hope. Um, I was suicidal. I don't know if I would have actually done anything about it. I was too afraid to actually do anything about it, but I was certainly depressed and um, considered suicide and thought about suicide, thought about ending my life. At 37 years old, I thought my life was over, and why bother? You know, If anything had happened, I would have been just fine. And I can say that today, that is not true for me. I have hope today. I have a life today like I didn't have those many years ago. Um, And I think when I first came into this program, I, I had so little hope that I was not a person who ever dieted because I didn't believe that diets worked. Um, I knew that I couldn't stay on a diet. I couldn't deny myself food. I couldn't deny myself anything, really, for very long at all. So I had given up on dieting, and I just thought I was just going to get fatter and fatter. I uh, And I remember thinking when I first came to F.A., maybe I could lose 35 pounds. That would be good. So 130-plus pounds later, um, my life is different, my body's different, but 
you know, it's really the spiritual and mental recovery that has been so important for me today. Uh, just a very brief, um, my family history. I come from a family of six kids. Uh, we were very poor, very poor growing up. And I learned very early that uh, there wasn't enough of anything, really. Certainly not enough money, uh, not enough food. Although, um, you know, really when I think about it, there was plenty of food in my house. We had gardens, we froze food, we canned food. Um, but, you know, we were always trying to stretch it. Uh, my mother knew how to feed, well, eight people in the family on very little. And I remember my mother worrying about, you know, whether the leftovers from Sunday dinner were going to make it through the week. Um, and when there's also, I'm the youngest of the family, and my older brothers and sisters are many, many years older than me. So I think when I was a little kid, my, um, my brother was in Vietnam. So there's a long span um, in between us. So I learned very early that... Um, that I always wanted more. I was trying to keep up with my big brothers. I wanted more. I wanted to do everything they wanted to do. Um, I thought I should have everything they had, including all the food that they ate. Um, I remember a lot of turmoil, sort of in the late late 1960s, early 70s. Uh, a lot of turmoil. My family was some uh, was a family that liked to discuss politics. <laughs> So there was a lot going on at that time, and I remember chaos. I remember a lot of anger, although, you know, maybe not as much, because raised voices at that time to me meant angry, and I was scared. I was a real sensitive kid, and I was scared a lot. But it wasn't okay in my family to be scared. It wasn't okay in my family to be angry. It wasn't okay in my family to be sad. So I learned how to stuff that down with food. And I would use food to cope with anything that was going on in my life. I had no other tools. Um, My family is a family of addiction. Both my parents were alcoholic. And as I said, there was a lot of anger around. I never really saw either of my parents, you know, drunk that I knew of. There was just alcohol around all the time. Until I got to be a teenager, my parents divorced when I was about 13. And my mother sort of became an emotional wreck at that point, and she became an active alcoholic. So I lived with a lot of chaos in my life. But what's really more important was that the way that I reacted to that. And I reacted by stuffing things down, by hiding, by lying, by stealing food, uh, stealing money. Um, I became a compulsive liar when I was in junior high. I made up whole fantasy lives um, because I just didn't feel like my life was good enough and I wanted to be more. I did well in school. Um, I grew up in a small town, so there weren't a lot of, like, cliques or anything. Everyone pretty much hung around, but um, I didn't really feel like I belonged. I didn't feel like I was good enough, even though I was in the, the classes for the advanced kids. And 
I just never really felt comfortable in my own skin, no matter where I was. I went into a high school that was uh, much bigger, <laughs> kind of got lost. My graduating class, and my eighth grade class was 40 people. My ninth grade class was 450, so I sort of got lost. But I faked it really well. You know, I got involved in things. I um, did well. I was sort of the teacher's pet for a while. But, you know, I also went around the, the lunchrooms and asked people for food. Or I stole, pe- stole people's food. I would go into people's lockers and steal their food or go into desks and steal food. When I went to a party, I would hang out by the food table. I remember one sleepover in particular where um, I really have this memory of this dark house and we were all down in the basement and the party was down in the basement and I went upstairs and raided the refrigerator and the freezer and while the party was going on downstairs but I couldn't cope with all those people and I didn't know how to have a good time. I didn't know how to talk to people. I was always wondering what somebody else wanted me to say. How could I be exactly what they wanted me to be? The idea that I could be who I was or who I wanted to be didn't really occur to me. And I used food to temper those feelings, um, to try and act bigger than I was, to be bigger than I was, which is kind of funny because my body just kept getting bigger and bigger, but inside I felt small. I felt less than. I did well in school. I went to college, which I was very grateful for. My sister and I were the first people in my family to go to college. Really grateful for that. And But again, I didn't feel like I fit in there. Um, I was always comparing myself to my roommate who did really, really well in school and had all sorts of boyfriends and was just, you know, she was just a really nice person. And I'm grateful that she's in my life today. Um, But I didn't know how to be a nice person. I wanted to be. I just didn't know how. And when I graduated from college, I went to Washington, D.C. and thought that the big city was going to be my answer. And Really, I was afraid to be in the big city. So um, I stayed inside a lot. Uh, I worked a lot. (laughs) It was easy for me to work. Um, And still, you know, no matter how many jobs I had or how many important titles I had or promotions or raises, I still didn't feel like I was enough. I felt like I was a fraud. My weight stayed just sort of, I guess my weight just sort of climbed up a little bit at a time. Um, I was a grazer. I was not a binger. I would just really start eating sort of all day long, you know. Um, and I had a boyfriend. I was living with a boyfriend at the time, and he was pretty a pretty healthy eater. Uh, he sort of kept me in control a little bit as much as he could, Um I don't know what I would have been if I wasn't living with him. I used to work several jobs, and one job I had was at a mall, and I remember thinking, oh, good, I'm working tonight. That means I can eat healthy. But I couldn't eat healthy left to my own devices. You know, I would buy the vegetables, and they would rot, and I would eat other stuff. 
or, you know, I'd have a, a refrigerator or a kitchen full of food and I'd go out and get more food because what was there wasn't making me happy. It wasn't thrilling me. I wasn't excited. It wasn't, wasn't exciting enough. I uh, studied Chinese Kung Fu for four or five years, which was really heavy aerobic exercise three or four times a week. And every year I get a bigger size uniform. I just kept getting bigger, and I didn't know what to do about it. I felt lost. Um, right after college, I started seeing a counselor. And counseling helped me a lot for a lot of things. But I wouldn't talk to my counselor about my weight. I certainly wouldn't talk to her about my eating. I lived in denial. I didn't want to face the fact that I was overweight or big-boned. Um, I wouldn't use the word fat at that point. Um, so I just kept doing the best I could. I tried to exercise and I would get injured or, you know, I'd buy the videos and do the Richard Simmons and uh, I'd usually get injured and stop that or I'd sign up for a year at the gym and go for a couple months and then stop. Um, I also, I knew that there was a, a God in my life. I had grown up going to church for a while and then sort of in high school I left that, but I was always searching for some sort of a spiritual answer. I just knew that, that there was something wrong with me and maybe some spiritual practice could fix me. I tried lots of different versions of Christianity I studied feminine goddess for a while. I I did Buddhism for a while. At one point, yoga was my answer. And, you know, I always wanted to meditate, but I never could. I could never do it. I always felt like I didn't have the right music or the right candles or the right clothing to, to do a real meditation. So I just gave up. It's what I did. It's what I did most of my life. I just gave up on things. If it was too hard, I gave up. If I tried a sport and I wasn't perfect the first se- first or second time, I would just give up. I wouldn't do it again. There's a lot of things that I denied myself um, because of this disease of food addiction. And I'm grateful now that I have a chance to try a lot of those things now and do it over, you know. Um, but I never, you know, I think I studied religions and I studied spirituality but it was never real. It was never practical. It it never changed me. I never changed. I would start a new thing and say, well, maybe this will help. Well, that didn't help, so I'll go to a different counselor. Well, that didn't help. So I got into my 30s, and um, I don't know. I think my mother died when I was 27, and I think that really kicked off a lot of my food addiction. I really felt alone at that point, even though, you know, I'd been living away from her for many years. But um, it's like life started to get really hard. This is a, this disease is progressive. And my life just started to get harder. You know, I wasn't the golden girl anymore. Um, things got harder. Relationships got harder. Work got harder. And as that all got harder my food addiction got bigger and stronger and 
that's when I really just started eating to beat the band. I just, I gave up any, any hope of changing any thought of losing weight. You know, I started giving in to the big clothes and trying to figure out what was going to look good and how would I look good and how would I be better than. And I couldn't, you know, I would compare myself to people and I couldn't feel like I was enough unless I was better than. And yet I'd sit in the room and not feel as good as. So I would make myself out to be better than. And I would, I became very judgmental. I would judge everybody. Oh, at least I'm not as fat as her. Well, at least I'm not blank. Fill in the blank, you know. Um, And today I don't compare myself with people as much. I do some of it. (laughs) I'm not cured yet, which is why I'm still here. But it's, it's really leaving me, you know. I'm okay. And, uh, you know, by the time I got here, my food was so out of control. And I was just eating, starting at about 6.30 in the morning. I'd roll out of bed late, rush into work, and I'd start eating. I'd go to the uh, fast food restaurant and I get two breakfasts and I would then either drive or take a van to work for an hour and I'd get there and get into a meeting and there would be lots of food and I would eat that food and always eat more than everybody else and then I'd go back to my office and I'd take all the leftovers from there and I'd, I was going to be the person who was doing the kind thing and bringing the leftovers back to the kitchen Well, not all of it got back to the kitchen, I can assure you. And then I would sit in my office in the afternoon and there'd be um, a bowl of sugar products on my desk or on my bookcase. And and inevitably I would lose the battle and I would take one. And then I'd take three. And then I'd take two and then I'd take five. And I'd be up, no work got done in the afternoon because I was so busy eating. And I'd go home, and I'd go up my one flight of stairs up to my second floor apartment, and the first thing I did was go right to the refrigerator. I wouldn't even take my coat off. And I'd open the door, and I'd look inside like, what is going to make me feel better? I can't handle the stress from the work or the argument I just had with a friend or my family or whatever crazy thoughts were going through my head at that point. Um, I was just trying to get anything in my stomach and I would take something out of the fridge and I'd take a few bites and yeah, all right, I started to relax, but then it would start again and it wasn't enough and it wasn't exciting. It didn't fill me up. I remember sitting on my, on a chair on New Year's Day and this is a story that I tell often that I had a towel on my lap I had a hot pan straight from the stove because I didn't want to dirty a dish. And I was eating this hot food and it was burning my mouth and I was crying and I was feeling so fat and so useless and so hopeless. And I knew that the next year I was going to be 300 pounds, 400 pounds. I just, I just knew I wasn't going to stop and I didn't know what to do. And I'm grateful that I was seeing a counselor at that time. 
I was seeing a psychiatrist for depression. I was seeing a counselor, and she was trying to help me. And for the first time in my life, I started to talk to somebody about problems with food, about feeling bad, about being fat, about not knowing what to do with my life. And I'm grateful that she had a flyer about F.A., And I carried that flyer around with me for about six weeks. I wasn't going to do it. I didn't want to do it. I was afraid. I had all sorts of judgment. You know, I did that um, judging prior to investigating. Uh, I just didn't want to go. I had it in my head. That's a bad thing. That's not going to work. Nothing's going to work. It's hopeless. Well, somehow I showed up one night. And what I saw in the rooms of F.A. was so different from anything I had ever seen before. I saw happy people. First of all, I I saw skinny people, and um, that was confusing because I thought I was joining a group for fat people. And I immediately got defensive and resentful, and all these skinny people were going to tell me how how to do it when they didn't know anything about being fat. And then I started to listen, and I was so angry. I sat with my arms across my chest, and I dared anybody to talk to me. And sure enough, they did, because um, <laughs> that's what we do in F.A. And um, they talked to me, and they showed me pictures, and they told me their stories. And I was blown away. I met people who had lost 60 pounds, 80 pounds, 100 pounds. And at that point, where I was in Maine... F.A. had only been there for a couple of years. But I thought that was amazing that somebody had kept off 60 pounds in two years and they were still there. And so I started to get a little bit of hope. And somehow, for the first time in my life, I said, wow, maybe, like I said, maybe I could lose 35 pounds. Boy, if I could lose 50 pounds and get under 200 pounds, that would be a miracle. So for me, I dove in. I just, I said, okay. I got a sponsor. I was really grateful when my sponsor handed me a food plan because at that point in my life, I didn't know what to eat. Now, I took nutrition classes in school. I was a pretty intelligent person. My mother cooked really well and really sensibly, you know, square meals and all that. Um, But at that point, I didn't know what to eat. And somebody told me what to eat. And I didn't have to count calories, and I didn't have to count points. And those are all the things that I had turned my back on because I didn't want to diet. And I also had said, I'm never going to put my food on a bouncy little scale. I don't want to weigh. I'm not going to weigh. Well, then she said I had to weigh my food. But you know what? At that point, I just said, okay, whatever. Whatever, I'll try this because it worked for you. And... My life has changed so much since that day. I mean, I, I can't even... Sometimes I have a hard time remembering what my life was before that. So I'm glad that I'm still going to meetings and I'm still talking to people and I'm still remembering and, and talking about my story because that's how I remember it and that's how I can share it. And... Um, you know, I, I was told to call my sponsor every day. I did not want to call a sponsor every day. I'm 37 years old. I didn't need to be telling somebody what I was going to eat. But I did it anyways. And I would gripe and complain 
not on the phone to my sponsor because I was a good girl and I wanted to do it right, but I would hang up the phone and swear and complain and call my friends and complain. And most of the people in the program that I called would say, mm-hmm, maybe you should just try it, see if it could work, give it a try. And so I tried. And in the beginning, it was hard for me. I It took me about six weeks to get abstinent. I kept, you know, for me at that point, it was about being angry and not surrendering and not wanting this to, I just didn't want to limit my food. And actually, you know, the truth is, the truth is really it had nothing to do with food. I was angry over something else. And so I wouldn't weigh and measure. You know, it had nothing to do. For some reason, the food was easy for me. It was the weighing and the measuring and the disciplining of the food that was hard for me. Because I had been a liar all my life. And uh, I still, you know, dishonesty is still a part of my story. I just... For many years, I didn't know the truth from, from fiction. And sometimes today, I even think that I'm still a fraud. <laughs> um, I used to think that my resume was a fraud. and So I didn't think I could do it, but I did it, and I kept doing it. And I just, every day, I just did it. And I did what was asked of me, and um, I started to do service, I started to work the steps. I was told that service keeps me abstinent, and so I did a lot of that. And, you know, by doing that, I've become more honest. I've become a better worker. I um, have gone through lots of changes. I was, that idea of not having enough has plagued me throughout. I used to worry about being a, a bag lady. I went through a period of unemployment. And you know what? My money was okay. I was okay. I learned how to rely on a higher power and not worry about my money. Um, I've lost jobs. I've been fired from jobs um, in abstinence. And today I have a great job and I'm humble. And I do what's asked. And they listen to me at the same time. But I'm not the most important person in the room. And I don't worry about money, which is a big deal for me. And I don't worry about my food. My food is weighed and measured. Um, it gives me comfort to know that. The more I can rely on my food, the bigger my life can be outside of my food. And before that, it wasn't. Today, I can go hiking. I can go kayaking. I can go into a room and enough. I can go into a room and feel like I fit in just perfectly. I went to a wedding of a dear old friend last weekend and I walked into a room where the only person I, the only two people I knew were the bride and groom. I spent about 10 minutes with the bride and then I was on my own for about four hours and I talked to people. I made friends with people. I asked them about themselves and I didn't worry about the food. I didn't stand next to the food table. And that's a miracle for me. And today, I'm just, I bring gratitude into my life. I have that meditation practice that I wanted to have in the beginning. You know, I don't look to the new spiritual guru to be my answer. Um, I don't look to counseling to be my answer. I look to this program to be my answer. I get help from my sponsor and from my FA fellows. 
And I just keep going one day at a time to live my life without relying on my drug of food. And um, that just is a miracle to me. So I thank you very much. Please join me in a moment of silence and the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thank you for listening to this audio recording. To hear additional recordings or to learn more about Food Addicts and Recovery Anonymous, you can visit our website, foodaddicts.org.